There we go. All right. Again, good morning. Good to see you today. Hope you had a good week. Brother Sam, good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you too, Doug. If you have your Bibles, let's... What was that? I missed that one. If you have your Bibles, let's take them, please, and uh, turn to the book of James, James chapter 1. I hope that uh, you've taken some time to read uh, through the book of James. It's a very small book, and you can, you can read it in just a few minutes. You can read the whole, the whole book, all five chapters, in just, just a few minutes. But uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at the first four verses, all right? The first four verses, and uh, if you're able to, would you stand with us, please? We'll read the four verses, and then and then we'll have a word of prayer. Yes, I did. <coughs> All right. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And the Lord will add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father, once again we come before your throne of grace. We have much to thank you for. Thank you for this week, for being with us, Lord, protecting us. And thank you that we're able to be here this morning. We're not hindered uh, by the road conditions. There may be some who still are like Brother Tim, but uh, we just pray that the road will be cleared up for him. Thank you for bringing Ms. Janice in safely and for everyone here. And we just pray for those who are still on their way. Now, Father, would you, would you hide me behind the cross? Would you help me to be able to teach this lesson today? Lord, as we continue in the book of James, May it be a profitable time. May we learn more about Jesus. May we grow in grace and knowledge of Him. And we pray that, uh, that, that this lesson will make a difference in all of our lives. Now we thank you again. Bless this time. Bless the other teachers. And uh, we'll praise you for all that you do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Who knows? Who that fellow is? Is that James? Huh? No, no. That would, that would have been a good, appropriate. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't think the dress would be suitable for that time frame. No, it's not James. British. Uh, British. Yes, 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 yes. He's British. Yes, that's Pastor Mark in his younger days. <laughs> No, sir, but his first name is John. Now, who do you think? No idea. That's the best picture I, I found of him also. That is John Wesley. John Wesley. Now, if you ever see a picture like that, you know who it is. He lived from 1703 to 1791. And of course, he was an English preacher. Whoever said English over here, okay? He was an English preacher uh, who was a leader of uh, the revival movement within the Church of England known as Methodism. All right? Methodism. Uh, they had 
methods that they developed and, and incorporated into their worship. Uh, they were uh, different, of course, but they loved the Lord and they preached the gospel, him and his brother uh, Charles, Charles Wesley. But uh, the following, the reason I have this here, because this goes along with today's lesson. Uh, the following was found written in his journal, dated April the 21st, 1764. Quote, I visited one who was ill in bed, and after having buried seven of her family in six months, had just heard that the eighth, her beloved husband, was cast away at sea. I asked, do not you fret at any of those things? And she said, with a lovely smile upon her pale cheek, oh no. How can I fret at anything which is the will of God? Let him take all besides. He has given me himself. I love him and I praise him every moment. Isn't that precious? I wonder how many of us could say something like that if we had experienced the loss of eight members of our family. This dear Christian woman could praise God uh, in the midst of trials and, and, and still rejoice under pressure. And that's what James wants us and his Jewish brethren to know, that we can rejoice under pressure. And of course, that's what our lesson is going to deal with this morning. Rejoicing under pressure. Have you had any pressure this week? Have you had any trials? If you'll notice that James ends verse 1 with the expression, greeting, which means, and I mentioned this last week, it means be glad, be cheerful, rejoice. Now what if you had gone through some experience like that this week and pastor or I came up to you and said, hey, how about you just rejoice? Just, just rejoice, just, just be glad. Uh, uh, Brother Al, why aren't you cheerful this morning? And he's just gone through a calamity. He's just gone through a difficult time of trial and pressure in his life or anyone else. In essence, James is saying, as a bond slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm writing to tell you to be glad and to be cheerful and to rejoice in your circumstances regardless of what you've gone through this week. And you know, with all the suffering and uh, trials and temptations and problems that these dear Christians were going through, what, what did they have to be glad about? Uh, what did they have to be cheerful about? What, what did they have to rejoice about? You know, we are so blessed today, we really don't know anything about persecution, do we? Not like the early church did, the early Christians. And not like many, many Christians are. Uh, going through today. So, I'm sure that many of them thought maybe something like this. How can I have joy in the midst of troubles? Um, the pressures are so great. Do you ever feel that way? Let's make this practical, alright? Is it possible for you and I to be glad, to be cheerful, or to rejoice when our world is 
falling apart and caving in on us? Is it possible to rejoice while under pressure? I believe we can. We can if we have a faith that works. And that's what this whole series is about. It's about having a faith that works regardless of what's going on in our lives. A faith that will carry us through the difficult times. A faith that will uh, carry us through, uh, through the trials of life regardless of the pressure. So, how should Christians respond to trials? Okay, James begins verse 2 by declaring a relationship. A relationship. He calls them by a term of endearment. And what is that term? What is that first word? I think probably whatever translation you have, it'll probably say, it'll begin with, my what? Brethren. My brethren. And there's the relationship, all right? He is writing to those who are related to him, and they were related by the same Heavenly Father. uh, James sent this letter to Christian Jews. And we know that he is writing to Christians because he mentions, uh, he, he mentions the word brethren at least 19 times throughout this letter. Now, if you have time this week, go through, and, and if you read through the book of James, count how many times he mentions the word faith. And, uh, but here he mentions brethren 19 times. So it's obvious. He is writing to brethren. He's writing to those who are saved. And, um, and of course, this is a reference not only to his brothers in the flesh, uh, fellow Israelites, but also his brothers in the Lord. They had a living faith in God, and they were part of his family. Now, the Greek word, the Greek word for uh, brethren, get this up here, the Greek word for brethren. By the way, Al, my apple is working great today. <laughs> it's working fine. And uh, I, I, you know, I, had it, I have it plugged in, and maybe that's helping a little bit there. But uh, anyway, the word brethren, uh, the Greek word for brethren is adelphos, okay? Which means, now this, it means from the same womb. Isn't that interesting? Brethren, my brethren, my, 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 my brothers and sisters in the Lord, those of you who have come from the same womb. Which is a good description of all true believers because we are all birthed or born again the same way, aren't we? Melody, would you read John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, please? John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Good. So Christians, we, listen, we are related because God is our Heavenly Father. And uh, we, we are all part of his wonderful family, aren't we? That's why we call each other brother and sister. Uh, Jesus said that the only way that you can become a child of God uh, is ye must be born again. And if you're born again, you become a part of God's uh, family that are here on earth and also those that are in heaven. We're part of his family. So these Jewish Christians were uh, in the midst of severe trials and James wrote 
to let them know that there's victory. There's victory through faith and how they respond to their circumstances. So what we want to do now is we want to to look at the matter of responding to trials, okay? Why should, what should be the Christian's response to life's trials? Well, first of all, uh, we're to rejoice. Isn't that what James says? He says, rejoice, my brethren count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. So we are to rejoice, we're to count it all joy. And I know that's difficult to do sometimes. James says, when trials come, we should face them with an attitude of the joy of the Lord. Nehemiah 8 and verse 10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Again, Nehemiah 8 and verse 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So, uh, how is it possible for James to expect his persecuted brethren to be cheerful and to count or to consider or evaluate all of their trials as joy. How do we, as 21st century Christians, react to trials uh, that we encounter? Let me, give you some, let me give you some examples. What about the wife and children who are being left behind as the husband and father is deploying to a war zone? What about the mother with several children who has just been abandoned by her unfaithful husband? What about the child who has just discovered that his parents no longer love each other and are separating? What about the person who has just lost their job, their home, their marriage, or everything that they have? What about that person? Can that person still rejoice? Brother Gabe, I hope you don't mind me uh, using you as an illustration. L- last Sunday night, it was last Sunday night, you shared the fact of how you had to make, I believe, in the course of your marriage, three trips to the dump. Because you had to dump all that you had. One, because of the flood, you had to get rid of everything that you had. You remember that? And uh, then another time, I forget what all three were, but I do remember you said you had to make a few trips to the dump. So what about, what about Gabe and, 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 and uh, uh, Jasmine? Can they rejoice in the fact that they lost everything? Well, he shared with us that they did, right? They pressed on, and they just kept on keeping on. And that's what we all need to do. Just keep on keeping on, regardless of the loss, regardless of, 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 of what you no longer have. We can still rejoice. We can still be happy in the Lord. What about the parents who just learned that their child has an incurable physical condition and doesn't have long to live. What about the husband who just learned that his wife was killed in a tragic car accident, and now he's left to raise their children? What about the person who has just learned that they have terminal cancer or some other life-threatening disease? What about the wife or the husband who has just found out that their mate has Alzheimer's or some other disease and there's no cure. What about Christians who are being persecuted and many Christians because of their faith in Jesus Christ? Last week we saw a short video about a a Muslim man who was tortured for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember that? What about people like that? Can they still rejoice in the Lord? 
Let's be honest, folks. How many of us really, really count our trials and our testings as joyous? Hmm? So you went out this morning and you had a flat tire. Well, praise the Lord, I've got a flat tire. (laughs) Well, how about that? Praise the Lord, I just found out I have cancer. You know, our natural reaction, of course, to trials is far from one of rejoicing, isn't it? Most of the time, you know what we do? We have a little pity party. Woe is me. You ever had one of those parties where nobody was invited except me, myself, and I? By the way, it's important to remember that James did not say to be joyous for the trials, but in the trials. And there's a difference, isn't it, Brother Al? All right? Responding to trials. Rejoice in your trials, but then next, realize that trials come to everyone. When ye fall, he says. Anyone here never has trials or testings? Anybody? You've never had any trials? Never, never Brother Doug? Have you ever felt that you were the only one experiencing trials? Yeah, I have. You know, I remember one time when I was at Tennessee Temple University years ago, and uh, I, was, I was carrying a full load of about 14 hours. I was working 40 hours a week. I didn't have much time to be with my family. Very, very rarely. I would get up early in the morning. My first class was about 7.30. And then I'd go to about 11 or 12. I'd come home. I would sleep just a little bit, and then I would study a while. And then about 3 o'clock, I'd go to work as a forklift driver in a big, big DuPont warehouse. And there, uh, I'd work till about 11, 11.30, and then I'd come home, study till about 3 in the morning, and start all over again. All those were difficult trials. But I, was, I remember one particular occasion where I was just, I was so depressed. Tim, I was, I was ready to throw in the towel. I was, uh, I'd just spent 12 years in the Air Force, and, and here I was in this environment of classes and with younger students, and, and uh, I remember I was in one of my, I think it was an English class, and the pressure was so heavy on me. I, I, uh, Jerry, I, I just, it, I would just, I couldn't take it anymore. And I got up and I left, and I determined then that I wasn't coming back. I was through with this. Why did, I didn't have to put my family through this. And I didn't have to go through this. And so on the way out, I went out and I was going to get in my car. And uh, a dear friend of mine, he was in the same class with me. He had got up and followed me out to the parking lot. And uh, I, just, I just began to weep, Brother Al. I just broke down. Just the pressure was so great. And he put his arm around me. And he quoted 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. He said, Brother Paul, he said, you're not the only one going through this. He said, I love you, brother, and I'm praying for you. What a difference that made. And you know, uh, right there and then I determined, all right, you know, buck, buck up, you know, be the man. You're going back. And I did, and I'm glad that I did. Uh, but maybe you've gone through trials like that. You know, trials trials are certain. 
And James says to expect them. When ye fall, he says. Not if ye fall. And this phrase does not suggest an accident. Like maybe falling, you know, into a ditch. But rather it means to encounter. When you encounter trials. By the way, being a Christian does not shelter us from trials. You know that, right? 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says to Timothy, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus may suffer persecution. No, shall. Shall suffer persecution. Trials are certain to come. And you can count on them. Now one preacher used to say, you can go to the bank with that. <laughs> but Brother E, I, I thought that when you become a Christian, everything is fine. No more problems. Everything is a bed of roses. Now who told you that lie? Whoever did, don't listen to them. Trials and suffering are sudden. They're unexpected and they're inevitable for everyone. Trials are also constant. And it seems that they just never cease. Listen to what Job said. Job 14 verse 1. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Psalm 88 verse 3 says, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. And so folks, listen, as, as, long, as long as we are in this world, we will have trials. And trials and trouble are a reality, and life doesn't get any easier just because you're a Christian. The next thing, remember that trials are a test. Divers temptations. Now, the English word divers means different kinds, uh, various, manifold, assorted, numerous. And your translation may have one of these words in there. Different kinds. Now, you know, perhaps you have said, as I have, man, you know, especially when you encounter trial after trial, what, what, what is the little phrase we say? Man, when it rains, it, it pours. It pours. And sometimes that's true. Trials come in a variety of shapes and sizes. Uh, they can be in the form of uh, maybe financial, or family, or physical, or, or spiritual, or mental, or a hundred other things. And so the word temptation there that James uses carries a twofold meaning. In verse 13, notice verse 13, what he says there, and we'll get to that later on. Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now then, that word there in verse 13, uh, it mean, that word tempted means a solicitation to do evil. Uh, to test in a bad sense. With the goal of corrupting one in matters of righteousness. When Satan tempts us, his aim is to disgrace the Christian. And by the way, temptation itself is not sin. Did you know that? When we're tempted, that's not a sin. It becomes sin only when we give in to it. And I'll say more about this in another lesson. And then here in verse 2, that word temptation, it refers to external trials or tests, uh, which come from the outside. All right? In testing us, God's aim is our maturity and development. 
as a Christian and for His glory. In uh, Romans, let's see, chapter 8 and verse 28, we're probably all familiar with that verse. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, it says, And we know that some things, most things, no, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Let's look next, next at the purpose of trials. Why, why does God allow trials to come our way? Um, is He mad at us? Is it to punish us? You know, before I, I was saved, Brother Gabe, I had a vision of God being a man. He was the big man upstairs with a big stick. And if you messed up, he just couldn't wait to beat you up with it. Huh? Yeah. A two by twice. Wham, wham. Doesn't he love us? I thought God loves us. I thought it says, for God so loved the world. Brother Doug, I, th- I thought he loved us. You know, at least that's some of the things that people think. James says in verse 3, knowing this, or because you know, literally it means knowing through experience. And this was not something new that had come upon them. He he was just reminding them uh, that everyone has experienced and known trials and the pain that they bring. And likewise, folks, you and I, we need to be reminded that the trials we face have a purpose. First of all, they purify our character. Verse 3, he says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The trying of your faith. Uh, The testing or, or the proving of your faith. God permits trials to improve us, to draw out the impurities in our lives, Just as fire draws out the dross in gold. You know, gold is put in the furnace to to refine it, not to destroy it. And true faith, like pure gold, it stands the test, no matter how hot the fire gets. Job said, in Job 23, verse 10, But he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Hmm. You know, God's purpose for trials, folks, is to purify us. How many of you have heard of Patch the Pirate? Patch the Pirate is Ron Hamilton, all right? And uh, many years ago, he developed cancer in one of his eyes and lost that eye. And, of course, then he began wearing a patch. And he began a ministry in music. music, And there are a lot of little videos. If your kids haven't seen them yet, I highly recommend them. Patch the Pirate. But he wrote a song entitled Rejoice in the Lord. How many of you have heard that song? Rejoice in the Lord. Listen to the words. God never moves without purpose or plan when trying his servant and molding a man. Give thanks to the Lord, though your testing seems long. In darkness, he giveth a song. The third stanza says, Now I can see that testing comes from above. God strengthens his children and purges in love. My father knows best, and I trust in his care. Though through, through purging, 
more fruit I will bear. And, and the Course says, Oh, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistake. He knoweth the end of each path that I take. For when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. Ron Hamilton is currently in a nursing home, I believe. And uh, he has advanced Alzheimer's. And of course he doesn't know anyone now. And it's just a matter of time now before he goes home to be with the Lord. But he wrote a lot of beautiful songs, and this is probably the best one here. This, this one here. I love this song, Rejoice in the Lord. And um, yeah, they purify our character. But then secondly, they perfect and strengthen us. They perfect and strengthen us. Verse 4. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Perfect. That word perfect there. Are there any perfect Christians here, by the way? Anybody perfect? Anybody here sinless? No. That word perfect means mature. All right. Mature. We're mature in the Lord and our faith. One author said this, quote, God's purpose in trials is the perfecting of Christian character in His children. He, he wants His children to be mature, perfect. And maturity is developed only in the laboratory of life. What does God want to develop in our lives? Well, can you think of anything? What does He want to develop in our lives? What about patience? Anybody need patience? What about endurance? And what about the ability to keep on going when things are tough? To keep on keeping on? You know, the only way the Lord can do that is through trials. Another author said this, quote, Every trial becomes a test of faith designed to strengthen the believer. And if the believer fails the test by responding wrongly, that test then becomes a temptation or a solicitation to evil. So as God is perfecting us, I think we need to remember a few things. First, we need to remember that He has appointed the timing of a Christian's trial. And that nothing catches Him by surprise. Did you know that? Nothing happens to us that He's not aware of. Someone has said this, Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? That's good, isn't it? Nothing ever catches God by surprise. Nothing catches God off guard. Second, he keeps watch over the Christian while he is being tested. Psalm 33, verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. Third, he uses trials to draw us closer to himself. We see in verse chapter 4 and uh, verse 8, it says, Draw near, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. He wants us to draw closer to Him. And then, He uses, uh, uh, excuse me, number four, He knows how much of a load we can bear. Again, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who would not allow or suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But He will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And then, 
The purpose of trials is they purify our character, they perfect and strengthen us, but they also produce endurance down here, while we're down here. I think I mentioned this last week, I know I did, that prayer, you know, dear Lord, please give me patience and hurry. Let me ask you this, are you sure you want patience? Jasmine, I saw her with her, oh, no, no, no. You know, we need to be careful what we pray for. I read about a young preacher who asked an old seasoned preacher to pray that he would have more patience. Because he realized that he lacked this trait in his life. And so the old godly man fell to his knees and he began to pray that God would send trouble and difficulties upon this young preacher. And that made, it made, that made the young man very nervous and uncomfortable. And it wasn't long before he tapped the old preacher on the shoulder and he said, you must have misunderstood me. I asked you to pray for more patience, not for more trouble. And the old saint reminded him of what Paul said in Romans 5.3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. If you want patience, you better get ready for tribulation, for trials, right? But you know what, folks? Trials are not intended to weaken us, but to strengthen us. Not, not to, God doesn't allow trials in our life to make us bitter Christians, but better Christians. That's what he wants. One author said, quote, one of the best tests of Christian maturity is tribulation. When God's people go through personal trials, they discover what kind of faith they really possess. Trials not only reveal our faith, they also develop our faith and Christian character. So God permits the testing of the Christian's faith so that he or she might know themselves. And when you're going through the fire of testing, you discover your own weaknesses real quick. God also permits the testing of our faith for the sake of the world, that it might see the grace of God at work in the Christian's life and what we are going through, and that we can go through the fiery trials. The world needs to see the grace of God in our lives when we're going through the fire. Another author said, quote, the world must see you in the crash dives of life. Brother Al, you'll appreciate this. They must be sure that the construction of your faith holds up. They must see you plunge into the abyss of great disappointment and level off for a smooth three-point landing in conquering faith. They must be sure that the instruments of faith and trust permit you to fly blind through the fogs of life when the sun is hidden, when all is dark and light has gone out of your sky. Hmm. Brother Al, I don't know if all of you know this, but Brother Al is a pilot. Did you have your instrument rating, brother? Yes. You know, when flying at night or through fog... By the way, just as a side note, I began many, many years ago when I was still in the Air Force, I began taking flying lessons because I thought that God was leading us to be missionary pilots, either in Africa or South America. And Brother Jerry, I flew and flew and flew and uh, accumulated 40 hours. And I was just ready, about ready to take my cross country. 
And of course, with how many children did we have then? Three, four? Things became tight, and uh, I never flew again because God redirected my life in a different direction. I probably wouldn't be here today if I would have been a pilot. But when flying at night or through fog or storms, you must depend on and trust your plane's instruments. And that's referred to IFR. That's Instrument Flying Rules. Is that right, Brother Al? And you know what? Likewise, folks, when going through the storms of life, we must depend on and trust the instrument that God has given us. His Word. And then, they not only do they produce endurance down here, but they prepare us for heaven up there. When trials come. Notice uh, in verse 12, and again we'll cover this later, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall rejoice, or he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Two words describe God's aim in permitting testing. First of all, the word perfect. And that word perfect again means mature. And the word entire means complete in every part. So patience, when allowed to do its work, will develop a thoroughly mature Christian who lacks nothing. And he will be all that God wants him to be. God's goal in permitting trials is not our destruction, but our development in preparing us for heaven. Can you imagine what it's going to be like one day when we will hear the Lord Jesus say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that going to be a wonderful day? And it may be before we, sooner than we realize. The next time that you're under pressure, folks, and you're going through trials and testings, try rejoicing. That's what James says. Try rejoicing because your Heavenly Father knows what you're going through and He has promised to be with you and to never leave you nor forsake you. Finally, let me say this. Only a Christian can rejoice under pressure. A lost person doesn't know anything about this. So I want to ask you, are you a Christian? Have you repented of your sin of unbelief and received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? I trust that you have. Uh, if, you, if you have, uh, when, when did that happen? You know, a good way to witness to someone when you begin speaking to them, uh, ask them if they're a Christian, and then ask them, well, when did that happen? Where, where were you when that happened? Do you have the assurance of your salvation and know where you will spend eternity? That's another good question. Remember we heard about Mr. Eternity last week. And if not, if you're not sure this morning, why not settle that question today while God's grace is still available? And if you are not sure that you are saved, would you speak to Pastor Mark or to myself, Brother Jerry, one of the men here? The Lord willing, next week uh, we'll see that Christians who have a faith that works uh, will ask God for wisdom. And that's what the whole lesson will be about next week, asking God for wisdom. What is wisdom? How do we, how do we get it? 
And uh, we certainly need wisdom to handle the trials uh, and to rejoice uh, under pressure. Amen. Uh, any questions? Any comments or criticisms? Yes, Brother Rob, I see that hand. God you, bless you. You're talking about, um, you know, why do we go through the trials? And I always heard, you know, God will never give me more than I can handle. Mm-hmm. And a pastor I was talking to, he stopped me right there. He's like, no. If we have only what we can handle, then why do we need God? Hmm. Repeat if, that again. If we only have what we can handle, why do we need God? Okay. And the trials that we go through is so we can depend and lean on God more because we can't handle them ourselves. 